How's it going, everybody? This time I'm taking the lead. Welcome to another installment of Renegade Capes, where we have a pretty special episode today. It is December 20th. By the time you guys listen to this or watch this, depends on how you like to view your podcasts. And with everybody here at Renegade Pop Culture, we decided to go ahead and celebrate the inception of DC Comics. It started back in August of August 20th, all the way back, I believe, in the 1930s. And we're all here to go ahead and gush about DC. If you want to go ahead and join in on the fun, we have a bunch of us over on YouTube, video essayists, everybody Uh-oh. in general, to just talk about the things that they love. Joining me today for this very special occasion, we have the beloved Captain K42, fresh from the Renegade Animation Podcast. What's going on, guys? We've got the streaming demon himself, Jacob, over from the Renegade Marquee. Hello, everybody! We have got, of course, my lovely fiance now, Kara Crystal. Hello! Concealing, but certainly very much feeling, we have our beloved Organoid Zero over here, who has a bit of a surprise to show us in a little bit. Good to see you haven't lost your touch. Oh my god. <laughs> oh, that's god, dude. And I used to have the mask, but I don't even Nice. <laughs> that's awesome. And making a return for this special episode, our founder, Neoplasmic himself, Kiona, is joining us. Woo! Hello. <laughs> Without him, we wouldn't be here. Saying. It feels so you're good. You're saying to that have we're it. some uh, we're some kind of RPC squad? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> it feels so good to have everybody for this special occasion. And just want to go ahead and kick it off with everybody. Just uh I, I, I'm curious, what was everybody's like first experience with DC in general? Let's go ahead. I, I want to hear from Kiona first. Holy crap, dude. Like, <laughs> um, I was probably like five years old reading a Batman comic or something. I mean, like, yeah, this would have been way back in like 86. So, so I could say oh, that, man. uh, you could say that I've been a, a comic fan for pretty much my whole life since I was about five years old or so. Yeah. Um, so it was Batman. It's always been Batman for me. DC. It's it's been Batman and the Bat Family. Let's say, of course, when that movie came out in '89, um, the the original, you know, the Tim Burton <laughs> Batman film. I I guess not the original original, but you know, the '89 film. Let's just say um, that was a big event, and it was something that I don't think I was allowed to go see because I think my parents saw it. And I think they were like, the Joker's a little too sadistic for you because you're only, you're eight years old or something. And then I ended up seeing it in like the classroom or something because our teacher decided to show it in class (laughs) (laughs) as a reward for us. So I ended up seeing it anyway. And it was fine. I mean, I turned out fine. Mm. (laughs) Did I? Did I turn out fine? I don't know. (laughs) I guess we'll leave that up to the audience. But yeah, I mean, um, it's for me, Batman is the the uh, touchstone character for DC for me. Um, and then, of course, Superman, the Christopher Reeve movies, um, you know, just like he's my Superman. He'll always be my Superman. So 
Uh, just like Michael Keaton will always be my Batman. And Kevin Conroy, too. So yes. We got to get some yes. respect for probably the only person where no matter where you read or where you look, if you see a quote, you're going to immediately hear that gravelly, amazing voice. Did you guys hear the story that he told about when he went to visit the troops in, like, uh, I think it was Iraq? And oh, he, yeah. like, he... Yeah, he showed up and one of there was a guy who was, um, you know, he was suffering from PTSD and he was super depressed and he was like talking to himself in the corner or something like that. And like, you know, and I don't mean to, you know, to belittle what he was going through, but I mean, he was he that's what he was doing. And so Kevin Conroy comes in there. And they ask him to say the line, say the Batman line. And he gets in there and he says, he says, I am vengeance. I am the knight. I am Batman. And then all of a sudden, like that guy just jumped up and was like super like happy and just like overjoyed Aww. by the fact that you heard that which is That's so amazing. awesome yeah and i, I just love I that he I did love the same the thing power of that line oh yeah I, I he did the same thing when he was um working at a kitchen after 9 11 in new york city really he did the same thing and the, like everyone cheered it's just the power of those lines and the power of that voice, man. I mean, yeah, that's, that's why I always say, like, you know, as like actors who who act in live action are are excellent, of course, and are masters of their craft. And then you have guys like like voice actors, and I feel like voice actors get the they they get kind of the short end of the stick in a way because it's like the power of a person's voice. It can totally it can bring that reaction about, and it's just something. Unique to voice acting, I think. So, you know, I, I feel like a lot of it has to come from they're not physically embodying the character. They have to put everything in their vocal delivery. Mm -hmm. For me, they should get more mm -hmm. credit. Honestly, yeah, agreed. I agree. I agree. Mm -hmm. And then you have Mark Campbell, who's like the the prototypical Joker. The, the, the Joker. I, mean, I don't think. Oh yeah. Yeah, he's the this Joker. This makes me think yeah. about the. The alternate reality, just the butterfly effect, where we ended up getting Tim Curry instead of Mark Hamill. But I'm very happy that we have. We're, we're watching Young Justice right now, and just the bits where he comes in as friggin' Bill O'Reilly, Alex Jones. Oh, Gordon, Gordon Godfrey. Yeah. yeah. Gordon Godfrey. Nice. There, there was literally a bit in the third season, I think, or was it the start of the second? He just spends a solid 30 seconds just going, but they don't lesser. <laughs> and the whole time I was just thinking, you know what? Now I hear what we lost. Yeah. I mean, like, seriously, whose idea was it to, to have Data voice the Joker? I, I don't get it. Oh, you're talking about the Brent Spiner one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I have heard clips of him. Um, like mm. he's a, it's a fine performance. It's just not the Joker. Yeah. yeah, exactly. The only one who came close for me outside of Hamill, honestly, was John DiMaggio in the Red Hood. Just thinking yeah. that, like watching Young Justice, like he would be so and Troy Baker. If oh, they yeah, Troy Baker's good. Troy Baker's good, but I always feel I think I'm still like kind of trying to get past it because it just sounds like. Even back in Arkham Origins, it just sounded like he was trying to do his best Mark Hamill, which I get. Not yeah. only that, but in Young Justice, if yeah, if I mean, he voices any other character, he's going to be the entire cast. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
What about Michael Emmerich and the Dark Knight Returns animated movie? Oh my god. Oh, Michael Emerson? Good. Yeah, yeah. Michael Emerson, good. right. He was good. Yeah. He was yeah. good. This Perfectly is not a mud hole, boy. This is an operating table, and I'm the surgeon. Oh. <laughs> so we heard from Kiona. Jacob, what was your first experience with DC in general? My first real experience uh, was The Dark Knight, actually. No, that was my first time where I actually really um, experienced something DC-related. I was just completely floored by um, the themes that that movie brought up. You know, it introduced me to the idea that comic books were so much deeper than just bright colors and pal bam yeah. And I went through a big Batman phase when I was, like, 16 or 17, and... Uh, I, I bought, I even bought some of the comics. Like, I would check out some from my local library, like uh, Batman Year One um, and Dark Knight Returns and Killing Joke. And, and you know, I just started devouring um, the um, the live action, the other um, movies. So nice. you can see here. Uh, nice. And I also, awesome. uh, I also have um, two of the. Um, Two volumes of the animated series on uh, DVD. As you should. Sweet. That's that's cool. See, it's 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 in, um, nice. Nice. I have that same exact edition. Oh. Yes. Oh yeah. Those yep. are great. Batman. I just. That was awesome. Yeah, and then those are very cool. Yeah, Batman is kind of um, my go-to go-to guy for me. I don't really expose myself to much of the DC characters outside of the movies. I did watch uh, Shazam for the first time just recently. Loved it. <laughs> yes. Shazam loved it. I, I've officially seen all the DCEU movies and I finished the uh, HBO Watchmen series um, just now. And Watchmen is another um, big part of DC that I've really um, taken a liking to. Um, yeah. From my experience uh, watching a ton of DC movies and a bit of the shows is there's just something so mythic about DC that I don't really get from Marvel that much. Um, it's just, even with how big Marvel has gotten, you know, DC does feel even larger somehow because the longevity of these characters and, you know, the the stakes or the, it's just the, the grandiosity of it all, it's just breathtaking. It really is. It's its kind of shocking that with the DC, and I literally made this post like on Twitter like not that long ago when I was in my completely sleep-deprived state of just rambling in between my editing, but I genuinely do think like in doing all this, because I have my Blue Beetle video up, at, by the time you guys see this, I recommend checking it out. It's kind of worth it but i genuinely think like that's dc's strength just in the fact that they're able to go and i'm not saying this is a knock against marvel i'm not about to be like oh man screw marvel but it's just the fact that dc can literally go to any other place in their universe and somehow it feels natural like, just the fact that in the DC universe alone, you can have something as grounded as Batman and the Bat family and all that. You can have gods like Shazam or Wonder Woman or Superman, aliens. But then you also have interdimensional things like anything that Grant Morrison just decides to just 
pop out of his head one day, or you can have swamp thing or metaphysical, like, like just entities like Sandman and all that. And yet it never once feels like this is getting a little too weird. And that's the thing that I always feel with Marvel where their biggest strength is when they're mostly grounded, like with Spider-Man and Captain America, not to say that they're not fantastical, but I mean, like, You'll never you you'll rarely get stuff like the fourth world in Marvel, hmm. and when you do, it always has mm-hmm. to be in a way where everybody's like, "All right, I think I get it now." Versus Jack Kirby just decides, "I'm creating gods. There's going to be a whole intergalactic thing going on, and you're just going to have to deal with it." Oh, and here's here's Superman's best pal, Jimmy Olsen. Dude, um, there was this comic that just recently came out, this this like maxi series, I guess you could call it, because it was about 12 yeah. issues, and it was Jimmy Olsen. And it by, was by uh, Matt Fraction. By Matt Fraction, yeah. And that book is bonkers as shit, dude. Like, that book is crazy. I mean, I, I barely got through the first issue, and I was like, this is a little bit too nuts for me, Matt Fraction, but I appreciate it. I appreciate you. But it's like... <laughs> Wait, wait, that what's, was the, just what's the title of it? Insane. I think and it's Superman's literally... pal Jimmy Olsen. Or I oh, think it's just, just called Jimmy Olsen, actually. I think it's just called Jimmy Olsen. Because they did better. like a Lois Lane maxi series as well, which was Greg Rucka, who I very much love. Mm. But like I love his work. So like yeah, I mean, you know, like I for me it's just going back and looking back through all the comics and stuff like that. But I'll get to that later on because I know Mike, you yeah. guys gotta go. So let's have you guys. So, Mike, apparently, I have a lot to turn, talk about. Let's turn it to you. What was your first experience with DC? I'm pretty sure the first thing I watched, and this came out around the time that I was born anyway, uh, was Batman the Animated Series. I, th- I think on our first podcast, I kind of, I kind of talked about my origin a little bit. How, you know, that plus Superman the Animated Series, Justice League, on Cartoon Network, that that like laid the foundation for my eventual love for, you know, Smallville, um, the Arrowverse, which I'll get into a little bit later. Um, and, ev- and eventually that led to reading the comics, including a couple of my favorite runs. One of them is Grant Morrison's JLA run, which had the team going up mm-hmm. against angels and dark side. And, <laughs> And there was an arc called World War Three, which got really nuts. Does anybody else remember that character Zariel? Yes. Yes, that, you know that, that, was, that character. The, you know it's what I'm talking about because that's a Morrison thing. Yep. Oh, I think he man. was a literal angel or something like that. And of course, my two favorite, like long, like long uh, runs are. Um, Nightwing from like 96 to like 2010 and then Green Arrow starting with Kevin Smith's uh, Quiver and all the way up to um, Oliver fighting Deathstroke. Those those are like two of my favorite like long, long running comic series. Mm -hmm. You know, it's funny, that's my one regret in my Kevin Smith video, that I didn't find a way to squeeze in his Green Arrow run. 
I was checking it out like in, in oh, little man. bits while I was exporting. And I finally saw like why that was making the rounds recently with the whole Batman is kind of a selfish lover kind of <laughs> stuff going on. <laughs> so I was like, where the hell did this green arrow panel come from? Oh, of course it was Kevin Smith. <laughs> of course it was. Gosh. Of course it was. And now Brock. That was a great controversy, an, by the way. I think it was. I have an idea. I think I have an idea where you started with DC, but I'm, let, let, let's hear it from you. You're correct. It was the comic where Sleaze brainwashed Big Barda and Superman to make a sex tape. Oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> Excuse me? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It's Snowflame. No, it's oh. Batman. <laughs> Snowflame. God, dude. Snowflame. I am Snowflame. Every cell of my being burns in the white hot ecstasy. Cocaine is my god, and I am the human instrument of its will. I had to look that up. That is my favorite, just random, what the hell Amazing. were they thinking? Yeah, but Amazing. It, yeah, it was Batman, because I was born literally when the stuff came out. I was born two years after. I am seven days into 91. I am the definition of a 90s child. So it was Batman. I, I watched some things on repeat. Just it, it's all it went. And then like Mike said, with going through Justice League, which has one of, if not the greatest cartoon intro ever with Unlimited's with that guitar riff after it has the classical, like regular sound and it goes into yep. that and just goes for like a minute and doesn't stop. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's great. It's <laughs> some of the best storytelling there ever is. Has, in my opinion, and it will never be topped, the best version of Question and Huntress ever. Yes. Um, yes. yes. The yes. fact that watching it when I'm older and they're literally trying to have like phone sex in the middle of a child's cartoon, I'll never get over. I <laughs> love it. Right I love it so much. Purple shirt, orange socks. You're really bad at this. <laughs> but, Huntress, um, by the yeah, way, it's... go ahead. She, she was voiced by a friend of the show. Amy, yeah, we miss nice. Amy. She was, she was. We had on her Amy. show one of my favorite versions yep. of a cartoon, a DC yes. character ever. But yeah, it's. I Absolutely. like the way that it's. There's a couple of things that I like. A that like, um, we said this during our uh, Snyder verse podcast or uh, uh, Snyder cut podcast. Thank you. That um, DC presents herself more mythical than Marvel does. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I've always kind of appreciated that. Like, basically, the Justice League is based off the gods, like the great Greek gods. And you can see if you just look at it. Like, every time I tell it to someone, they're like, what do you... Oh. <laughs> like, yeah, the watch that was the point. basically Mount Olympus. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, yeah. if you look at yeah. it, it's there. But, um, and... That was the point. Just, that's what Stan Lee wanted to yeah. do. Yeah. And, and that's what um, DC wanted to do as well. The other thing exactly. I want to point out... Go ahead. Did you say something? Sorry. Oh, uh, one thing. Um, one thing about um DC I do like is they actually they lend themselves more to self-contained um drama better, like with Watchmen or Viva Vendetta or you mm -hmm. know like just like sm small stuff, you know, like not character like driven stuff. It's like more serious. Like they tackle that stuff. They're they allow themselves to um, explore certain themes with different characters, like the ones I've mentioned. Yep, no, I agree. And 
one thing that I like, well, it's part of it. I am a kid that has an adoptive father, not legally, but I changed my last name to it. So it's about as close as legal as you can get. So that's why I'm very close with the whole Batman idea. Everything with, um, and now his name's escaping me. Damien? Oh, made Dick Grayson eat rats. His name is escaping me. Oh, Frank Miller? Frank Miller. All that could go oh, right Frank out the Miller. window, but uh, <laughs> for the most part. But outside of that, it was just the fatherly figure all throughout the whole family aspect of the Batman I really liked. And with DC, period, give or take this happens in Marvel too. One thing that I've always liked about DC is that it's very based in lineage. Lin- lineage yes. and legacy. Yes, and yes. I love that. Yes. Like, the, there's... T- just you could just with the Bat family or with all the people that have yes. helped helped the Green Arrow, just go with Donna Troy when you're going through there, everybody with Wonder Woman. You could go through lists upon lists upon lists of just how it carries through, and you care about basically everyone that holds those mantles. They barely ever have a dud. And I love it. And they're con- and they take they're continuing. Exactly. And they're continuing to expand stops. on that. Yeah. Yep. Like, you and even have a new Wonder Woman out there. Like, there's, like, two Wonder Women just, now. There's just got just... one, yes. But, yeah, it's... <laughs> and one thing that I always appreciated, and it was one thing that Marvel still isn't that great at, is animated features. They were mm-hmm. everywhere. Everywhere. Mm-hmm. Movies, yeah. TV shows, everything. DC did and still kicks a snot out of them in that department. What If is getting there. I'll give them that. I haven't seen it, but yeah. I've heard very good things. But we'll get we'll get there soon. Yeah, exactly. It's just <laughs> they always had it right off to the start. And it's like I I have to have it bad as most people, but like I said, with very sparse things with my mom worked a lot and then had a not great to very little no existence with um my dad, who I have no complaints about that in the long run. Um I basically grew up like idolizing Batman and stuff like that because that was like something cool that I always kept my mind into. And I got some comics from some friends and stuff like that. But like growing up watching that show, I'd never gone to a comic con before, like before it was three, three years ago, three, four years ago. And then randomly, no, it would have been out of 2015, six years, six years ago. Holy mother of God. <laughs> um, but all of a sudden yeah, dude. I was yeah. like, I'd like to go to a con, but it's like, there was this one in St. Louis that a buddy of mine wanted to go to for everyone that knows I live in the middle of Wisconsin. And then I just gotten a brand new vehicle that could take the trip because I got a new big person job and got a new car. And then all of a sudden my buddy who lives, who has family in St. Louis who'd be staying with, he's like, well, if someone pops up, we'll let you know if you want to go. And then all of a sudden it's getting to be like two weeks before this and nothing's came up. And all of a sudden he messages me. He's like, buy your ticket. I'm like, why? He's just like, buy your ticket. I guarantee you there's one person you will drive nine hours to go see. Like who? And then he sends me the link and it's Kevin Conroy. And I immediately five minutes later bought my tickets and <laughs> then Ed drove that whole time. And I wasn't in a Comic-Con for t- maybe 10 minutes. Chris and them went, went over. The first table I saw was his. And then Lauren Lester was right around the corner. He was not there yet, but I saw it. And then I ran into Eli Ifford. If you're on here, buddy, I love you to death. I, you were helped me out through my first con and helped me through everything. You were amazing. I got to his thing and like normally when you go to these cons, you see people, they're like in a big crush and make sure they don't want to talk with people. Sometimes they just come in. Kevin just walked up with his bag out through the front door in the middle of the crowd, like everybody else acted like he was nothing special set up, lightly put his stuff down, sat down. And then the person who I idolized for like 25 years of my life was five feet away from me. 
and I, I, I physically couldn't function. And then all of a sudden it got around. He was talking to people and he said, Hey, how's it going, bud? And I broke into tears and he came uh-huh. around the table and hugged me. Oh yeah. And I yeah. just couldn't handle it. I started crying. I was like, I was like, Batman's meant everything to me. I had a horrible growing up with my dad and I had a surrogate father that helped me so much. And Batman's meant a lot. And then he's just like, I'm happy that I can help anyone through a hard night. And I'm glad I could help you. And I just started bawling and he hugged me again. I have nothing but respect for Kevin. And I will never not have respect for Kevin. He's one of the most kindest, genuine people I've ever had the pleasure of talking to. Kevin Conroy is a saint. But yeah, there was awesome. that. It's, but it's, yeah, it's one thing that Jacob said of the, again, street level stuff. They handle it a lot better. Things like that, I like appreciating more. It's just, up until recently, even in video games still, because, you know, Avengers, that was great. You've also had video games more, and that's more of what I'm into. All Arkham, even on the N64, they had Batman games going forever. They had Superman games. They weren't that great, but they always had them. But um, <laughs> it's just, there's been so much media that where I could get into, and it's just, it always drew myself more to it and it's just like it was just batman like teen Titans stuff like that like the judas contract that was one of my favorites um that whole weird ass arc in and surrounding um starfighter dick grayson's wedding and when she that like, was, uh, stopped it when she was possessed by trigon it's a weird like borderline bdsm stuff was in there <laughs> like um and there's just random, like, just off-kilter different things. I still think my favorite run of, my two favorite runs of anything is Nightfall and also No Man's Land because yes. it introduces Cassandra Cain. Yes. And I, I don't I love think, No Man's Land. Outside of um, Batman and Dick Grayson, I don't think I've met a DC Comics character that I like more than Cassandra Cain. And I was very upset the first time she ever spoke. I'm not going to lie. Because it was just oh. so cool. It was just so cool that they had a character that was a badass, looked like she could kill you, and spoke through reading body movements. They didn't train her to speak. She is the love child of, uh, oh, man, Kane. Uh, David Kane. Crap. What is it? David, David Kane, I think. David, oh, David Kane. Kane. David Kane, I think. Yeah, and it's David yeah. Kane and then and Lady, um, Shiva. Lady Shiva. Thank you. Lady Shiva. And I'm just like, you have the offspring of two of the most badass people in comics history. They purposely yes. don't teach her to speak, so she's only an assassin. And they teach her yes. how to speak through reading people's body movements so she can tell how they're going to fight and whoop their asses. It's the coolest character ever! <laughs> and, it's just like, and what was her first word, bro? I'm like, she's still the coolest character ever. Go ahead. What, what was her first word in comics? Let's see. Let's see if anybody knows this because. I, I think I, I know what I it was, remember. but I'm not I really remember. sure. I honestly don't remember. I I want to. I'm gonna do a quick search on this, and I'm gonna see what what it was. What, but, what? Yeah, that was just like because I think I know what it was. It's great. That's I could gush on about that stuff for hours, but yeah, just the way it's presented in the lineage of DC has always been something that I've been so fascinated with, and I love. And I used to love the Arrowverse. Okay. Okay, I got it. I have the answer to that it? question. What was it? And and I was wrong because I thought it was going to be help, but it wasn't. It was okay. stop. Stop. Okay. Stop. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. That was in that was yeah. in the original run. That was Kelly Puckett's run, the co-creator. Yeah. Kelly Puckett, and Damian Scott, co-creator of yeah. Cassandra Kane. Yeah. 
look into the way and that the art Cassandra, style, dude. Yeah, it's great. Look into the way that um, Cassandra was conceived, by the way, because David Kane just went around looking yeah. for people. And then he thought that Shiva's yes. sister was like holding her back. So just got in, whole big hullabaloo happens. She dies. And then like out of, because she was holding back Shiva. And then they're just like, okay, we're going to train with you with the deal that you conceive a child for me. And I'm like, then it ended up being Cassandra. So I was like, that's messed up, but it was her. So that's cool. <laughs> but the sad thing uh -huh. is now they pretty much wiped out that original origin story. Ray, I think. That'll bring us to the one thing that I hate right? about DC because I don't think even rebirth. I no, the one that the one of the one thing I will genuinely bitch about DC with, and it's the only time I'll speak negatively outside of maybe the Arrowverse with Mike, is that um, <laughs> let's 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 um just take the word reboot out of your continuity. It's done. We're just throwing it away. You can't use it again for twenty years. Just put it in a put it over there, lock it in a box, and throw take it away. Take the word crisis. As or crisis. Take the word crisis. Reboot, and crisis. Burn it. Burn anything. Put in, burn the word. Oh, John. By the way, we're yes. just going to help her give Barbara Gordon her legs back because she was one of the coolest freaking disabled representation character ever. But we got to reboot and have cool things. Oh, don't get me started on that. But anyway, we'll go on to somebody else before I go on a tangent. Dude, my favorite character is Stephanie Brown. I feel you, man. I barely just started reading Gail Simone's Bad Girl, too. It's. I avoid the new 52 like the plague because how they treated my boy Jaime Reyes was garbage. Oh. But uh, oh, I will go man. ahead. I, I'm going to turn it over. The new 52. To the lady I, of the group. Well, I will yeah. say I probably am the one here who is the probably the smallest DC fan because my upbringing was mainly centered around Marvel just because what that's when most of the movies were coming out when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. The only thing I, I guess my first exposure to DC was my mom's fucking obsession with Smallville. <laughs> obsession. I, I, I think I've said it on the podcast before. She's watched that show probably over six times all the way through. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So... Of course, I've I've been drug along the uh, each time. I mean, it was a good show, definitely. Um, I don't know because I think because of that, I kind of develop, developed a resentment towards DC and especially Superman, just because of how annoyed I was at of it at some point. And after that, I really just kind of dropped off on DC. I didn't really watch anything, listen to anything, read anything. When I, Once I really started to, like, once I reached that age where I was looking into more nuanced stories, that's when the 2012 Ninja Turtles came out. So my life was Ninja Turtles. And I guess you can kind of classify that as DC now. <laughs> A little bit. <laughs> Tendential, at least. Yeah. A little bit. So, and that just makes DC even better because of it. <laughs> yeah, it was getting warm. <laughs> Does Marvel have the Ninja Turtles? No. But I got Batman underneath. It's a one franchise they don't have. Yeah. Hey, they had a crossover though. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is in there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> a couple times now. Yeah. Whew. Does that also mean that the Ghostbusters are involved? 
it, when you when you combine <laughs> all of comics, it gets weird very. Yeah. And Batman has met Voldemort. Keep that in mind. Yes. What? And the Power Rangers. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> and yeah, the pretty and much the uh, and the Xenomorph. Yeah. And and yeah. yeah. Didn't he yeah. also meet Scooby Doo? Yes, oh. he did. Yes, many times. I didn't think that was real. Oh, oh and, yeah, many times. And Archie. Well, you know what? I'll get to yeah. that when we when we get to like the later things. But yeah. But aside from Ninja Turtles, like I like like I said, my life became Ninja Turtles, and that was it. And then you know, Marvel movies started happening, and then the it was Batman versus Superman came out, and it just kind of further cemented my distaste for dc and then i met josh and of course <laughs> crazy about blue beetle and i realized about that found out that there was a superhero from el paso i'm like okay might as well check this out and just recently he showed me the which which one was it the well the christopher reeves yeah the very first superman movie yeah. with richard with dick donner and uh uh, Christopher Reeve. I was watching mm -hmm. that, and the moment when he when he's in uh, Lois's apartment, and he takes off the glasses and like, uh, I was like, so this is Superman. <laughs> That's cool as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> so I what did you what did you think out. of when he got out of the phone booth and he was dressed in his costume, and then the guy says, "Yo, man, that's <laughs> a bad outfit." <laughs> I mean, that's I my favorite that. moment in the entire movie. <laughs> Seriously, I was like geeking out afterwards. Like I've known this character my whole life, which I kind of have, but I just, I, I guess I got the wrong Superman. And I don't know. I, I just, I, I want to get more into it. I want to uh, check out more stuff, read more comics. I've been meaning to look, look into more comics in general, but they're expensive. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Plus, some trade paperbacks don't collect everything, which makes it more frustrating. Nope. Yeah, most don't. But aside from that, you know, really, thanks to the podcast and Josh, like I've, I've engrossed myself a lot more. And now we're watching Young Justice, which is fantastic. We're on yes. season we're on fantastic. season three now, and I just that's love every bit of it. That's my second favorite voice Batman voice actor in it. Bruce Greenwood, man. Bruce Greenwood, yes, he's so good. Oh, good. He's great. What do you guys think about Cedric Bader? I oh. like him. I like him too. It makes it. I, I think I like him more in a in a comedic setting, which is why yeah, he's perfect for Harley Quinn. It, it's very yes. hard to watch Brave and the Bold because I saw Harley Quinn first, so oh, oh, him, just imagine yeah. Brave yeah. and the Bold is set in the same universe as Harley Quinn. <laughs> <laughs> and only in this one he actually does eat out Catwoman. <laughs> yes, the hammer of justice is ready for sex. I mean, dude, has nobody read Tom King's run on Batman? I mean, come on, you can't Seriously. tell me that that was all like just, just you know, like there was nothing going on there. Like Batman heroes do do that, DC. Like that was, that suck was it. such a can of worms that was Tom, just not needed to be opened. I just didn't get it. Tom King probably infused the bat books with more sex than I think anybody ever attempted to. And that's yeah, he actually had who's written for Batman over the years. 
he he actually had Bruce try to have a healthy relationship, which is a big, huge like event in a Batman book. I don't think that happened since maybe like Vesper Fairchild in like the '90s run with Chuck Dixon and Doug Doug Mensch writing. I mean, yeah, like, some, somewhere around there. That was like, yeah. That was, that was a thing in and Batman Mask of the Phantasm, there was that big deal about um, how the only thing that was stopping him from being Batman is if he actually had a wife, you know? Can we and also that's exactly add, what they pointed out. Speaking of relationships with him, one thing that man... Again, we're going to go back to why I love Justice League, mm-hmm. the, the animated series. They oh, always yes. bring up the situation where a lot of times Batman is scared to be with someone because yeah. they could get hurt. Yes, and then they go through a whole episode where Wonder Woman is laying it on as thick as humanly possible. To where like that's not an issue with me. Yes, <laughs> one dating with, within the team right never now. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, if my enemies found out, they would come for you. And she crushes a freaking rock, and she's like, <laughs> next. I, I think one of the lines was like, uh, you know, first things first, you're. You're, you're a goddess from a from an Amazonian island. I'm a rich, rich I'm a rich guy with daddy with issues. With, with daddy issues, lots of issues. Oh man, that is one of my favorite favorite episodes of Justice League. By the way, isn't that the one where he has to sing for Cersei to get yes, um, yes, <laughs> to get her I, I love that. Yes. Oh, that's so good. What? It's so good, man. Everyone, go Justice watch League. the Justice League cartoon. Justice League gets weird, Crystal. Like that that Christmas episode that I showed you, or the one where they time travel and go with Jonah Hex and then go to the future with with yes. Virgil. Like yes. that's just that's just oh. the tip of the iceberg. Oh, it's so good. And I guess this is where I show my age with everybody because. My introduction to DC wasn't Batman, surprisingly. But it was a one-two combo of Static Shock and Teen Titans. Those two, I watched them a lot, but I didn't even know who Batman was because I was a little dumb little kid. And one day my parents are like, we were walking through Sam's Club, I believe. That was back when we went to Sam's Club. Remember Sam's Club? Mm-hmm. And, I remember uh, Sam's Club. <laughs> and they, they, they say, oh, look, they have the Batman movies on DVD. And I'm like, who's Batman? And they had the same reaction. They had this reaction three times in my life. It was with Batman. It was with Indiana Jones, which prompted us to get the trilogy on VHS. And they did it nice. with Pac-Man. And that prompted us huh. getting Namco Museum. So nice. when we saw the all four of the movies there, it was Batman, Batman Returns, Batman Forever, and Robin. And we, we, we jumped on that shit right away. And they showed it to me. And I remember loving them. And I'll admit, maybe it's just my nostalgia, my, my nostalgia speaking. Maybe it's also the fact that I can also recognize that they're stupid but I'll always have a soft spot for the Joel Schumacher Batman movies. Yeah, I will defend Forever. Forever I will is a not good movie. with Batman and Robin. Forever, forever knew is, it was stupid. Forever knew it was being campy. Forever is on the same level as Returns as being probably one of the horniest comic book movies ever. 
Absolutely. But are you, are you trying mm-hmm. to tell me that Nicole Kidman? Yeah, that's yeah, yeah, that's the one with Nicole Kidman. <laughs> trying to go back and forth, but deciding who she wanted to be with the whole movie. Yeah. And then, and then on top of that, there's Uma Thurman as Poison Ivy, oh. which she knew it. She knew what movie she was in, and yeah. she just kind of last. I think everybody. I think everything <laughs> just really, really hyperbolic with their anger <clears throat> towards the movies. But I also understand Batman is a dark character. He's a tragic character more than anything. He's, if I were to coin anything from Marvel, he's basically DC's Daredevil in that sense. Mm. But at the same time, I think there's a place where where we can have a happy Batman or at least a more adventurous Batman. A more jovial Batman. Yeah, but that's yeah, not what we got in 2006 when we got Batman Begins. No. And that, that started my whole love of Batman in general. I even love The Dark Knight Rises, which a lot of people are very mixed on. But I'll go as far as to say that's probably, at one point, it was my favorite of Nolan's Batman movies. Wow. Really? But wow, if, if we're... If we're really talking like far in, like, because after <laughs> all this, I was strictly in Batman. I was just like, I'm never going to read Superman or anything like that. But then I, I eventually, I got out of that phase of my life where I was like, oh, everything's serious. And I, you know, it was Blue Beetle that, that, that really exposed me to, uh, to, to the more lighthearted side of, of DC. And it was through that that my buddy Ruben, at the time, that was when The Flash was barely about to hit its third season. So he got me and Crystal. I showed him a whole bunch of movies and shows up until this point. That was what we would do all the time in, in high school. Just, hey, have you seen, uh, uh, um, uh, I, I don't know, uh, Schenectady, New York? Let's watch it. Oh, no. Exactly. But, you know, we'll watch fun shit, too. And he was just like, you know, you've recommended me shows over the years. I'm going to recommend to you The Flash. You're going to love it knowing you. And that first season, man, that's still something absolutely magical. Yeah. Yeah. And then for me now, just again, animated wise, I think DC's on a real hot streak with everything lately. I I read a little bit of Tom Taylor's uh, Superman, uh, Son of Kal-El that he started doing where it's oh. the son as Superman. Now there's, um, dude, Tom Taylor's on a roll, man. Have you, have you even read like deceased? That's so good. Oh my God. That book is amazing. And and then there's, I think I talked about it on the podcast before, but one of my favorite things that Tom King has ever written in his fucking career and that's including sheriff of baghdad mr miracle which jacob i highly recommend that you read mr miracle i think you in particular would love it especially with what you said about how dc handles character drama the most that one is probably one of the best comic representations of ptsd i think i've ever seen Mm -hmm. oh really horrifying too you know in 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 tom king's way but none of that mega man is good too the Omega Man is good. But none of that holds a fucking candle to Batman Elmer Fudd. What? <laughs> you know what? I ha- I have a um a trade of all of the DC Looney Tunes crossovers. 
Yes. And that was one of the first ones I read. Wasn't yeah, Daffy Duck um, the uh, Green Lantern? Yes. Hey, did DC used to do like Hanna Barbera characters? Yes. They did yes. that for a couple years, and they, they did, did crossovers with like the main DC heroes. Yep. Mm. And yep. Just yep. everything about that, and it, like I said, they can go cosmic, they can go interdimensional, they can go surreal, and everything that they touch, even at its worst, it's still very inventive and just amazing and if i if there's any readers out there i or any listeners out there i'd highly recommend if you're able to find a good enough website wink wink i'd recommend if you want to go out there uh alan moore's swamp thing yeah that is one of the scariest books a uh, set of books you'll ever read but then there's also neil gaiman sandman sandman Thank you. Doom Patrol in general, just. <sighs> Dude, have you guys seen like Lucifer, like the latest season? Like not the, not season six is coming up, but like season five. I need to get on the Lucifer train. Yeah, man. That, that show is excellent. 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 And I, I will watch it. I would give my kingdom to see like Tom Ellis and, and what's the dude's name who plays John Constantine. Uh, Matt, oh, Ryan. Matt, Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan. They need to do a show together. Like, seriously, they just need to just do like a buddy cop freaking like thing through hell or something. That would just be amazing to me. But even animated, like just have them voice it. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, like, even if it was like like an, like an animated, you know, 90 minute um, road trip movie with. Yes. Yes. With, Con with Constantine and Lucifer. for yeah. And throw in death. Why not throw in sand? Throw in just, have, just, just have the, just do it. Do everything. Yeah, that would be amazing. I'd oh, one last thing to throw out there. The just in another example, what would you say is probably the weirdest character that you can think of from Marvel that is stuck around, or at least should stick around, or should have more option opportunity? Howard the Duck, I guess. Yeah, probably. Um. What if, I, what if I told you DC has a character equivalent of that and is even better? Are you talking Detective Chimp? Yes. 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 Detective I, I, I almost thought you were going to say Ambush Bug. <laughs> uh, yes. Yes, also. Like Detective Chimp, okay. I'm, I'm just Googling like, right now. I Okay. I was also going to say on the Marvel side, I was going to say like Peter Porker, Spider-Ham. Or even the beard hunter or something like that. Like just hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on. Oh, I don't know. Weirdest character. You know who they should um give a better treatment to is Condiment King. Hell yeah. We talked about that the other like day. Like I said, yep. like I said, WB, if you ever want to do the third movie to Suicide Squad, you want to make it Condiment your answer King. to Mission Impossible. I've got my heist movie. Condiment King would be like the chef. <laughs> so I remembered my one other character that I love to bring up to everybody else. Mm -hmm. The dog welder. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> what? Explain it, Brock. <laughs> so there's a super villain. 
While the team was on hiatus, Dogwelder spent most of his time trapping and killing dogs in alleyways, and the team oh. would be helped by welding the dogs to people's faces. Oh, no! <laughs> Who is he, Shia LaBeouf? Uh, um, his real snap. name is unknown. <laughs> and and he, he, was, he was on a team called Section 8. His height is oh, 6'4", yes. he weighs 420 pounds. Why do I get the feeling this was made during World War II times? And actually, he is mute and can't speak through conventional means. And actually, he came I out think it was... in 1997. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> the 90s was a weird ass time for comics, man. Like, seriously, you had some characters in there. Like, you had the girl in like Young Justice and like Robin who had like the razor blades for hands. Yeah. Like the T1000 razor blades for hands. And I mentioned Snowflame earlier, the guy who literally gets his power from how high he is off cocaine. I mean, why wouldn't you? I mean, I know guys like that in the town I live, but you know. <laughs> so the superhero kills dogs? He um, has a strong obsession with welding dogs to people's faces. He's not a superhero. Wait, no. wait, 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 wait. Welding? Welding. Yeah. So like does he, does he kill the dogs? Um, they 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 gotta they, I, I'm look. Going to, it's I'm it's going one to, hell of an accessory. Um. So we're going to uh. Why I love that I have screen share in here. I'm just I'm just gonna let oh, you Lord. you know. Just. Take oh a look my at god. It. And what? <laughs> what the fuck? Dog welder, ladies and gentlemen. It's for anybody who's only listening. We're seeing this panel of this guy in a welding mask holding a dog that for some reason looks like Sylvester, the cat. Huh. I can kind of see that. I've And the, the guy at the bottom, it, it's this thin panel, guy at the top, Sylvester, the cat dog, and guy at the bottom, scared out of his mind. And I swear to God, dear listeners, it says dog welder. Ah! Ah! <laughs> <laughs> Okay, okay, this is a Garth Ennis thing. I knew it was a Garth Ennis thing. Okay, that makes so much more that sense. That makes so much sense. Yep. Garth yep. Ennis, the guy behind Preacher. Yes, he's a weird, weird. And John McRae, and like, yeah, I mean, like, Steve Dillon was Steve the one Dillon. who created uh, Dog Welder. And yeah. there's a second one, too. Of yeah. Course. I mean, Section 8, though, that's that's a Garth Ennis joint. If, if yeah. anything is, it's going to be, yeah, that would be ah, There, There's some weird stuff. You ever want to have a fun time? Go to your local Barnes and Noble, buy a DC and a Marvel encyclopedia, and just oh, shut dude. a lot and just go nuts. Point. You'll see some weird things, especially oh, yeah. if you're like me and you mostly know these um, comics from the movies. Yes, yes. Like, the if you thought like, lot. like, like I thought Wonder WandaVision was really weird at first, and then. So I can only imagine what the comics are going to be like for me. Oh, like, boy. I'm you are in for a treat. Like, my, like, my jaw's going to be, like, on the freaking floor. I wasn't joking before, Jacob, when I said that two people um, hit when a character named Sleaze hypnotized Superman and Big Barda to attempt to record a sex tape to make millions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I was not joking. Mm -hmm. <laughs> There's do some dumb not. stuff if you do some digging. Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm telling you, Jacob, like the closest that comes to like the weirdness that the comics have to offer 
the only thing that I've seen the live action movies even attempt is literally what James Gunn did. Yeah. Because I mean, you have Kaleidoscope, Calendar Man. Calendar Man. That was awesome, by the way. That was a good cameo for it for James Gunn's brother, Sean Gunn. Yes. Uh, who plays I was so as happy well. they had the dumb forehead tattoo. Yes. <laughs> I yes. love the fact that there were actually people upset on Twitter, like how to ruin a character in 10 seconds. Like, oh yeah, <laughs> everyone's beloved favorite Calendar character. Man. Calendar Man. Yes. How will which, they ever redeem I, themselves? Which I just don't know. I literally, I read the Long Halloween again to Crystal. That was her. That was like one of the first like things that I really sat down with her, Batman wise. Yeah. It was that and Batman oh. Ego. Oh. Yeah, Ego. Oh. Which yes. That one's like I mentioned it before when we did the, the the DC fandom thing. That's an amazing story. But literally, I wanted to see. Was Calendar Man even that useful in the long Halloween? And no, he's not. <laughs> like, but, like Batman just keeps going. Like, look, we need help finding Holiday. Please give us something. And he's just like, oh, the Holiday Killer. He struck again. She Where struck did she again. go? They're going to do something. Look, please fucking tell us something, Julian. Well, look, if you let me out... Maybe we can work something out, and then Gordon will be like, "Batman, the cal- the the holiday killer struck," and then they just leave Calendar Man. So even the story that everyone's like, "Oh man, Calendar Man was so sinister here," he's really not. No. Yeah. He's just there. No. Intentionally to waste his freaking time. Uh. But on the level of delight, on the note of delightful, delightful things. That are absolutely crazy. I just want to know. With all of this, the main thesis of DC Defined was picking your favorite thing about DC. Like the absolute favorite thing that you've seen in DC, read, watched, played, whatever. And how does it define DC for you? So I guess I'm I'm turning it to everybody. So far, what is your favorite thing in DC? I'm gonna I'm gonna kick it over to Jacob, real quick, first. Oh, dude, come on. Ah, hot seat, baby. You're in the hot seat, boy. Thing that defines DC. Um, you can say it. It's it, it's Slipknot, the man who can climb anything. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Uh, the greatest film debut of all time. Um, Why you do this to me? Um, <laughs> and I'm guessing um, I really like the Snyder Cut of Justice League. There, I'll say it. No, that that's fair. Yeah, just completely off the top of my head. It's it's the closest to like match the grandiosity of like exactly, uh, and knowing behind the scenes of how much of a of a nerd Zack Snyder is only makes sense because you know most other directors aren't. Who have tackled DC stuff aren't nearly as much of a nerd as Zack Snyder is. Like they try to project their own kind of sensibilities, like uh, Christopher Nolan or Richard Donner. But Zack Snyder, it was just full blown DC. Like, it, like he had DC flowing through his freaking veins when he made that. No, oh, yeah, that makes sense. 
and you know, it's just that and I began to appreciate DC more from um, the Snyder Cut Justice League. Like that was my like light bulb moment. Like, okay, this is why people love DC so much. This is why DC has accumulated a certain fan base that Marvel just doesn't. Yeah, you guys understand? Like to me, like the DC and Marvel fandoms, they're they're kind of different in terms of like how they kind of define themselves. You know how committed they are to that sort of thing. Maybe it's because Marvel is such a part of the zeitgeist that, mm. um, you know, maybe and their movie, the the Marvel movies have dominated the blockbuster scene so much that it's not as like the fandom isn't as defined as the DC fan base. If that makes any sense. Oh yeah, yeah, that's fair, definitely. And also DC basically started uh, it's not an exaggeration to say they have started the superman the, the like the superhero genre with superman the movie that flick is still the rosetta stone of how you do a superhero movie and like it it takes it it takes it like it shows that no matter how seriously you take a comic book character you should still treat it with respect and that's what all the good superhero movies do right mm-hmm. yeah So yeah, that kind of Justice League. That was my, that was my uh, noob um, example. I mean, Justice League made me absolutely excited for Superman, and I, I had seen the other stuff. But I mean, that that's the first time I went, oh fuck yeah, Superman! Because that's just when he comes in to to fight to to join everybody after Steppenwolf just is just decimating everybody. And just does the not impressed. It's yeah. like okay, that's yeah, that's oh, close to the shit. that's close to the kind of goofball that Superman is. Yeah, compare that to the Justice League version where he does is as well. I believe in truth, but I'm also a big fan of justice. That was just so old personally, me. but I Josh, get what you look. That's lame as fuck. Josh, I will agree with you on one thing. I'll agree with you on one thing, Josh. There is one line that I do actually miss from the Justice League cut, and it's one of the most old-school Superman lines that I love, and I was kind of upset that it got cut from that movie, is after he does the stuff with the Russian family. I don't like that. I was glad that got cut. But when he he comes back over the top, he's like, is this guy still bothering you? And then he just starts eating the ever-living shit out of him. I'm like, that that was such a a cool, amazing Superman line. Yeah. It was great. After that, they had the best on-screen Superman, in my opinion, for roughly five minutes. <laughs> that line is mostly that line is mostly lame. I mentioned compared to the not impressed one. Yeah, you know. like in comparison to that, like I'll admit, mm. yeah. before before I kick it over to the next person on the on the hot seat, the the one line that I genuinely do miss from from the studio version of Justice League, it was the alternate version of when they introduced Cyborg. And, um, you know, they're just like, I, I think Cyborg saying to his dad, like, you know, I'm a, like, a, they're afraid of seeing the monster or something like that. And he says, you're not a monster. Like, don't think of yourself that way. And then we finally see Ray Fisher and he's like, it's funny. You thought I was talking about me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just so simple in a better, it, it could have been better executed like visually, but I mean, like it's yeah, writing wise. I love it. But that's just me. No, now, next in the hot seat, 
Let's have Mike. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> I have I have a couple different options floating around my head, but um, in in an attempt to be a little bit unique, and again, this is kind of a recent example. Superman and Lois on the CW is a as of now probably the best show set in the Arrowverse, and is kind of one of the, it's kind of the perfect example of how to tell how to tell a a long form Superman story, um, and show like all of the assets of his personality. You know, you get to see all the superhero, like you get to see the superheroics, but you also get to see the human side of Clark, right? Like raising a family. Um, I mean, he's not working because in the in the pilot, he gets he and Lois get fired from the Daily Planet, but still, he's the the show is about him balancing between saving the world and saving his family. And just the way, just the way they handle everything is just, it's, it's honestly done to perfection. My, minus a few CW-isms, but that's because the other focus of the show is um, Clark's sons, um, Jonathan and Jordan. But, but, even, but even these two are, are great characters in their own right. So yeah, if you haven't seen Superman and Lois... You should definitely get on that soon. Absolutely. Okay. All right. All right. Let's see Brock. All right. So I have two. One is my favorite quote from a Batman movie ever, and the other one is my favorite moment that has ever been put to commitment in the DC anything. And it's actually quite recently, and I really do not like this film because of the plot hole real mess in my opinion, but... I love this quote to death because it emphasizes how I love surrogate father relationships in DC to a T and I love it. A hero can be anyone, even a man doing something as simple and reassuring as putting a coat around a young boy's shoulder to let him know that the world hadn't ended. Mm -hmm. Showing that relationship between Gordon and Bruce, I love it. That was one of the most simplest, not overdone ways of just, I love that so much. Because mm -hmm. that's all you need to do to be someone's hero at the end of the day. Just help them. That's mm -hmm. all you got to do is just help them in the moment and when you can. But DC to this day, in my opinion, and damn it, I cry every time I watch it, will never, ever, ever, ever top the epilogue episode of Justice League Unlimited. Oh, that's a good one. They never will. Never yeah. in their lives, in my opinion, will they produce something that good. For those that have not seen it. In Justice League Unlimited, they basically do a new ending to Batman Beyond, where Terry is talking with, I believe it's Waller? Amanda Waller. Amanda Waller. Yeah. I haven't watched it in a bit, but she's talking with Amanda Waller about this old mission that Bruce went on. And it was with the Justice League. It was like Stargirl. Oh, I can't remember the old team. It was a couple of randoms that they didn't normally have in the show. Was it like Metamorpho or somebody it like might that? Have, uh, it's been a while since I watched it. Shaira was there, and then it was yeah. two other ones that aren't normally there. But uh, they were they were going up against the um, Royal Flush Gang, and yes. Ace had gotten out of control in the middle of the city and had transformed these people, given them these powers. 
Mm-hmm. And what had made her go nuts is that she couldn't control her powers anymore and she was dying. Yeah. And Batman, knowing this that she's just a scared kid, was looking out for her this entire time. He's the one that sympathized with her the best. And then Waller point blank comes up and gives this kill switch thing to Bruce to use on her. And she's like, she might listen to me. I'll go do it. And then he just puts it in his pouch and then walks in and leaves everybody behind. And she's just swinging on a swing, scared, terrified. And she knows she's dying. And she's talking with Bruce. He comes in. He's just like, I'm dying. I gave everybody what they wanted. And then he still wouldn't play with me. He's like, I know. And you're not going to hurt me. You're not going to do whatever. He's like, I can't remember the exact quotes or whatever, but, um, he basically comes up to the conclusion that he wasn't going to use the device. And then Ace goes, I know you weren't going to. I'm going to be dying soon and my time is coming to an end. Would you sit with me? And he does. And he sits on a swing and holds Ace's hand until she dies. And then carries her out, sets her down, and just doesn't say anything to the rest of the league. And just walks off. There was and, one... Okay, go ahead. Finish. finish. And the, the big crux of this is talking with Waller and why Batman is so important. Yes. That there always needs to be a Batman and all of this. And Terry, to this point, had not been aware of something that, I don't know if it's in the original plan of Batman Beyond, but it was put in the act here that, um, that technically Terry is Bruce's kid. That was a little bit of a stretch for me. Like, I'm not sure I cared for that little bit of retconning, but okay. I, I, absolutely, I absolutely loved it, but that's just me. But they go on to that. They always at some point felt that they would need a Batman. So they basically, I can't remember the exact science, but they interjected cells of Bruce's DNA into Terry's dad. And One of the best weather lines. And around a couple. And then Terry came out and then dad's instantly killed. <laughs> By the by, the Joker gang, and then he had the same exact growing up because they're like someone ne- we needed a Batman in the future. There always needs to be one, and then the entire time Terry had just been freaking irritated with Bruce because he was being an old grouch because that's what Bruce was at that point. And mm-hmm. then all of a sudden, he's going to go out and do something. I can't remember. The, I believe the signal was off. And he had to go do something, and he's like, uh, "Get something to eat," or he says either wear wear a coat or get something to eat as he's going out. And then he's just, and he kind of shakes him off. He's like, you're stubborn. You know that? He's like, yeah, I get that from my old man. And he walks out the door and I'm like, ah! <laughs> Even was- as you were just describing um, the episode, I, I still got a little choked up. It's so good. I haven't watched it in like five <laughs> years, so I don't remember the exact lines, but it's the best thing that DC's ever put. And it comes out of nowhere because it's just a single plot point episode in the limited that they just plopped in there. And I'm like, that was the original ending to Justice yeah. League Unlimited, too. Yeah, they, they were they were yeah. going to end the entire DC universe with that episode, but then yeah. Justice League got one more season. Yeah, but the Which other great moment, if, I, if I'm allowed another, is in the very last episode of Justice yes. League Unlimited, and it is my favorite Superman moment of all fucking time that will never be topped. Yeah, He's sitting there with Darkseid. Darkseid is just going to town, taking out everybody. And Batman is on the floor next to him. He's like, is and he's at Darkseid's like, why do you guys continue to fight? And Superman says, as long as that man can draw breath, he will not stop fighting. Me, I have a different problem. Boom! 
boom, right hooks him clean through a building. And then he just flies up and sits next to him. He's like, my entire life, I had to walk around being careful, feeling like I lived in a world full of cardboard, that if I hit someone too hard or do whatever, that I might kill someone or I might do something horrible. But you, you can take it, can't you, big guy? And then just proceeds to wallop the ever-living shit out of Darkseid. And it's awesome! I love that Superman and Darkseid dynamic that they had in Justice League Unlimited and Justice League and, and the Superman animated show because oh. that's the one time that you see Superman just really cut loose and just be pissed off at a guy is when oh. he's dealing with Darkseid. Yep. And like, oh. by the way, that season of Justice League, the final season of Justice League Unlimited had one of my favorite bad guy lines, which was the whole thing about Grodd. And his whole master plan. Oh. <laughs> when he goes, when Lex Luthor is like, "What are you planning on doing?" And he says, "He says I am going to take this device and turn everyone into an ape." And I was just like, "Oh my god, this is just oh, the most amazing freaking thing I've ever seen in <laughs> yeah. my life." They yeah. leaned into the humor in that season, yes. man. And then the end of that episode. And then the end of that episode. It's all done. Dark side is dealt with in a way I wasn't expecting when I was watching when I was younger. Yes. But then all of a sudden, all the villains are here, all the heroes are here, and all of a sudden they're like, you're going to let us get away? And then Bruce, Clark, and Diana look at each other, we're like, we'll give you a five-minute head start. And they five all run, and the last scene is the heroes running, and you see their emblems on their chest going off at the distance. I was like, fuck, give me five more seasons! <laughs> yes, yes. Man, that show was so great. Everybody who's, like, too young to remember that show, like, seriously, you guys are making me feel old. And secondly, go and watch it. Yes. Oh, that is perfect. I got to see that. It's my gold standard. Gold standard yeah. for DC. It's the best yeah. storytelling you've ever done. Young Justice is damn close. Damn close. close. But you are not beating that Justice League cartoon ever. No, you're not. No. All these, like, scene descriptions, they make me want to check out more DC shit. It's so good. Yeah. I, I think it's like, and also the best part about it is the first season of Justice League before it hit Unlimited, almost every single arc they did was two episodes. Two episodes. Every, yeah. every, every episode was. Everyone like except for the Christmas one. Yeah. It's all well thought out and it's some of the best storytelling they've ever done. Ever. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Um, yeah, the 2000s, they were a good decade for animation. Oh, they really were. were. Well, that and Avatar The Last Airbender. Yes. Even even the 2004 Batman cartoon, the just, Batman, yeah, the Batman, yeah, that, yeah was, that was not bad. That got better as it not went to on. Be confused, I thought. not to be confused with the Batman coming soon. Yeah. No, yeah, they're but getting like, weird with the. <laughs> I mean, I remember Which showing that, that first episode to Crystal, and we were both kind of taken aback because I was that I was at that point where I think everybody, every one of us here, has had that thing where. You have a new incarnation of a show that you like. They have a reboot, and you see the art style and everything. You're just I like, was like, oh, oh man, I'm not gonna. I admittedly, I, I was like that when I first saw stuff from the Batman. I like Jeff Matsuda, but some of those designs were terrible, man. But Kevin Michael Richardson as the Joker. I mean, that first scene where you see the dead body of a Arkham guard, and it's like the flashes and everything. It's very clearly two thousands. Mm-hmm. In oh, the yeah. best possible way with the cheese, but it's so, so freaky and cool. Oh, yeah. Did you guys see the the Batman versus Dracula? Because that was actually a pretty yes. decent animated film. That was pretty decent. Like I, I liked it. I did the Alucard Dracula thing for like a solid week as a kid when I saw that. Just spelling things backwards and putting in the mirror. <laughs> nice. <laughs> it's nice. <worse. laughs> I was oh. 
way too old when I found out that that spell factor was Dracula. I'm not going to give away the age, but I was way too fucking old. <laughs> Dude, I, I got to say one more thing. I got to say one more thing about what Brock brought up um, with that, that epilogue episode, because Waller has one of the funniest lines in that whole entire episode to me. Anyway, I thought it was hilarious when she goes, She's talking to Terry about Bruce leaving his DNA everywhere. And then she goes, yeah. she goes he left it all around town. And she's like, not remotely what I meant. <laughs> <laughs> if it was up to Bruce Tim, he left it in a lot of places. I mean, yes. I was like, Viola Davis, she really that. brought that character to life. Like She did. Viola Davis and CCH Pounder are C. C. just... CCH Pounder. They're, they're, they're Amanda they're Waller to me. De facto. Yeah. Oh yeah, well, it's a good thing that you were still going because you're in the hot seat now, Kiona. Oh, I figured. <laughs> okay, so um, my big thing with DC is legacy. Um, that's why I'm not a big fan of the New Fifty Two because I feel like they were trying to wipe that out. And uh, there's been times when, like who's, the reboots that, that they did. Wally West? Huh? Was it Dan DiDio? I can't remember, but someone. I get the feeling that he hated like a lot of those characters. Some of the younger characters, yeah. He wanted to kill off Dick Grayson in Infinite Crisis. Did not make people happy, myself included. I I don't hate Dan DiDio. I really don't because I I liked his passion and I liked the fact that he he did some good things, I think. But when it came to the characters that I loved, he was awful. Like he was awful with Cassandra Kane. He was awful with Stephanie Brown. Um, especially in the later years, you know, which we're still kind of recovering out of that. And I feel like just he he didn't love that because that wasn't his era of comics. And I, I don't like it when creators come in and they're like, oh, these aren't my characters. And I mean, sometimes I do that too, where I'm looking at new characters and I'm like, wait a minute, this clown hunter kid is not my character. But I mean, at the same time, if they're used well enough in the stories and stuff and they give them personality, then I like it. So it's like um, Scott Snyder on Batman when he created Bluebird. Mm-hmm. Like her, Harper wrote, like her character, I think that was his, right? That wasn't Grant Morrison. That was, no, that was Snyder. That was Snyder. Um, yeah, when he created her, I thought like, okay, he's trying to replace like some of the older characters, but he wasn't really trying to do that. And I found that out later on as I read and I was like, okay, Harper's kind of cool, actually. <laughs> like, I don't hate her. I think she's she's an interesting character. She brings something unique to the books. So what like James Tinian and all these guys are doing now, it's like, it's interesting to see them kind of adding to the mythos with punchline and those types of characters too. But, um, but you know, again, that's what I mean. It's like, it's a legacy thing with, with DC, which is very unique to them. And Marvel has tried to do it with like young Avengers and that sort of thing, uh, which was very good. But DC, I feel has done a much better job. Like it started with Teen Titans and it's just gotten more and more large and, and looming as time has gone on. And I'm so happy that we're out of that whole new 52 phase where it's like none of the events of the past happened. And, you know, I, I just, I never was a fan of that. I think that they should keep their legacy characters. My favorite character, of course, and I'm going to mention this because I have to, is Stephanie Brown. So like Hell yeah. Cassandra Kane adjacent, if anything, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, they're, they're kind of adjacent characters to each other. They're kind of inseparable to me. And I think that what they should do is like, we should have a Batgirls book. I don't understand like what the issue is right now, DC. You have, you have Barbara Gordon, you have Babs, you have Steph, you have Cass. Like, seriously, this is, you have the makings of a great book with great characters. 
Um, whether or not it sells well enough, I mean, do a digital first or something. Do something with them because I think, you know, guest spots in Urban Legends is not going to cut it for me. And then you have this whole thing with Tim Drake now where he's in the news. And, you know, people are just reporting this this thing about, like, Robin being bisexual and stuff like that. Like, it's not just Robin. It's Tim Drake, who is mm -hmm. a Robin, mm -hmm. who is the third Robin. And that, again, speaks to the legacy, yep. you know? Like, it's getting mis... It's, it's sort of a misreporting because people don't know the difference. The mainstream audience doesn't know, like, this is a different Robin from the original Robin. Although, to be fair, I've... It's always been headcan to me that Dick Grayson yeah. is bisexual. I agree with you. I agree I, with you there. Dick Grayson, I think it's, he just wants to have a good time. I think he just <laughs> wants to roll with it, man. I think, yeah, he's he's like, he's, you know, Dick, Dick Grayson is awesome. I think we all agree on that. Oh, he's always been Nightwing to me. But I think that like, like a running thing with Dick Grayson where like everybody's just constantly like, ah, Juicy ass. Oh, yeah. Well, there's a great panel that I'm not going to, well, I could try and recreate it here. I don't have quite as juicy of an ass. But he like, sits like this, twirling one of his batons, and he's just got the most dummy thick ass ever. <laughs> just right in mid frame. He, it's just, yeah, it's. Yeah. Fun fact there's a one comic, I can't remember what it is, where they made radiation proof condoms so that Dick Grayson could have sex with Starfire. Does he need that to have sex with Starfire? Um, <laughs> apparently the Starfire's insides are dangerous. So kind of like when you go to the dentist and they put that... <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's just a writer just caught It's like the opposite him, effect of Peter Parker with Mary Jane in Rain. Oh god. Oh, that God. is just a writer just trying to cock block Dick Grayson. Don't do that, writers. Come on. Let our heroes fuck. <sighs> yes, exactly. Please. Yes. I mean, you have the black label books. That's what they're for. Absolutely. Anyway. Get some dick. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, at least they're not still doing that stupid Rick Grayson crap that they were doing for the yeah. past in Ugh. the past like year. That didn't yeah. Fit well, that was so. So there are some things th that I really dislike in Tom King's runs, like Heroes in Crisis. Started out yeah. good, ended up really not being good. Um, but like you know, for the most part, I liked his Batman run. I think he did. I think he did a story in in his Batman run that was one of my favorite Bruce Wayne stories, where he had, like, he had Batman just go nuts on Mister Freeze and just beat him to a pulp, and then he like they take him to uh, to court. Because, of course, Batman doesn't kill him. He just beats him to within an inch of his life. But um, they take so they take Mr. Freeze to court, and Bruce Wayne is on the jury. He somehow, like, bribes his way, probably, onto the jury. And then he basically testifies, and it's like 12 angry men, and he basically just testifies against himself in the jury. Like, he, he just, he witnesses against himself and is like, but what if Batman was actually just kind of off his rocker? You know, like, what if he... What if he didn't have all the evidence and stuff? And it's just, it's this perfect thing because it's right after Catwoman leaves him at the altar, basically, because that whole wedding arc. Yeah. She leaves him at the altar. He's racked with self-loathing and depression. And he goes, beats Mr. Freeze within an inch of his life, takes him to, to prison, and then they put him on trial. And he just, you know, it's an exploration of, like, this guy who basically, right now he's in that place of, like, I hate myself. And I'm going to actually physically show that by testifying against myself 
And I think that was one of the best Tom King stories I think he's ever written. Um, certainly one of the best Batman stories I've ever seen. Um, but, you know, again, just getting back to the whole point of legacy and stuff, like like uh, Young Justice, the comic, the original comic, not the Bendis comic, but the original Peter David Todd Nock comic book from the 90s is an awesome parody comic. Like, seriously, guys, if you have not read that run, that is a great, great run. It has to... To the point where it has these dudes... Okay, I'll just give you one example of, like, the punnery that happens in this comic book. The punification, if you will. <laughs> so, there's a scene where... There's a scene where, like, this... The, the villain of the story is basically trying to kidnap the Pope. And the Pope is in the Pope-mobile. <laughs> and, um... And there's... The, the villain is there, and he's killing people in the audience. Like, you can tell he's just rampaging... And they have these Secret Service dudes or like the Pope's like security and they're pulling guns and shooting into the crowd and saying, protect the pontiff. And that is one of my favorite panels I've ever seen in a comic book. It is hilarious. Peter Good David, Lord. you're a genius. Jeez. I love it so much. The irony. It's the irony. But anyway, um, you know, like I think that DC does a really good job with just introducing new characters while at the same time keeping the original guys viable and around and like within the public eye. So that's kind of my favorite thing about DC and what they do. I mean, I literally my, my video is all about the legacy of, of blue beetle in general and literally everything that you're saying, I'm not saying that it's word for word in my video, but it's just, <laughs> That, that's more or less the thesis of, of it, too. Just, I mean, how many Batman, how many Superman, how many, for God's sakes, there's a literal Green Lantern Corps. Mm -hmm. Yes. And just, it, it shows, this is the one thing I do, I, I can, let's, there, there's a line that I have in my video where, it's, where I personally think that the mark of an iconic character isn't in who wears the symbol, but in the impact the symbol has on the world around them. Yeah, I agree with yeah. that. Yep. I've heard said that the Superman emblem is second only to the Christian cross as the most recognized symbol in the world. It's up there. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Probably. That lineage thing just got me thinking of um, when there's a run, I can't remember who wrote it, <clears throat> but when Dick Grayson made the Batmobile fly and he had Damien as his Robin. <laughs> And um, there, there's this—he had just gotten the cowl, and uh, there's this big fight on the docks, and he's just beating the snot out of like fifty to sixty people without even breaking a sweat, and he's caught on a security camera smiling. And oh, then, I think that was Scott Snyder. And yeah, and then Jim Gordon tracks him down and goes, "Okay, you That's, are not—you're not you, not, I, you, yeah. you are, but that cannot happen." People yeah. cannot see you yeah. smiling. I don't care if you're enjoying yourself. You cannot be seen smiling. <laughs> that's either Snyder or that's uh, that's either Scott Snyder or Peter Tomasi. I can't remember. Exactly I, I think it. I, I think it was Tomasi. Yeah. Because Tomasi's been doing that stuff for ages now. He's got a, like a huge long run on the Bat books lately. Peter Tomasi used to be an editor. Nice. Wow. Actually, um, it might have been Grant Morrison 
Oh, it might have been Morrison. That does Mor sound like Morrison, Morrison did the first sixteen issues of um, of the Grayson and Wayne run. Yeah, yeah, that does sound like a Morrison thing, honestly, because he's he's just so weird. But I love him. But he's weird. The the one thing I remember about that run is um, it was my first exposure to uh, Professor Pig. Professor Pig. Oh, yeah. It's a weird character if you want to talk weird characters, man. Weird but horrifying. The Dalatrons. Yeah. Oh. yeah. So it's freaky. Now, now I'm gonna kick it over to the better half. What is your favorite DC thing? What what defines DC to you? Well, I mean, my for the longest time, my biggest thing against DC was oh or Superman's not a, a real character. Like he's he's just a Boy Scout and poster boy, and he's just truth, justice in the American way, and like that's it. That's his character. And then Batman is just brooding and mean and angry, and I am vengeance all the time. And Wonder Woman is just a female super Superman. Mm -hmm. Like she doesn't have a character. Like that was my my line of thinking. That's why I kind of jumped on like the Marvel bandwagon. Like, oh well, you know. All of them are funny and cool and they actually have personalities. So that was my biggest gripe with DC. And it wasn't until, yeah, pretty much the, the Christopher Reeves moment. Like w watching that whole movie and just seeing who Superman is. I'm like, oh, so that's DC. <laughs> so really my thing with it is character. And through seeing like uh, Batman Ego or um, just like a Wonder Woman eight, uh, 1984, I'm starting to see that, yeah, I was stupid. <laughs> no, you weren't. <laughs> no. I was really stupid. Well, I mean. We all make mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I mean, I think was a good band for a while. <laughs> Nobody's perfect. Who would you, what? I didn't hear the name. Maroon 5. Hey. <laughs> harder to breathe is pretty okay. Okay, you they got some good ones. They got a couple good ones. But yeah, really just seeing that, that moment where, where he takes off the glasses and like, oh my God. Because I had always been like, well, he's not... He's, He's, he, I mean, anybody could, could spot him. Like, he, he's just wearing glasses. How could you not tell that that's Superman? And then I watched his performance as Clark Kent and Superman. I'm like, holy it's, crap. It's interesting, too, because they have a moment similar to that in one of the animated movies. I think it's Hush. I could be wrong, but, like, there's a point. It, it might be in the original comic. I've, I've never read it, but... Uh, soups and, and Clark and Lois are at a diner or like at a cafe and he finally lets it out and just like look there's something I need to tell you I'm Superman she's like oh my god no, just stop it like no 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 you don't understand and then he takes off and he looks around and he's just like and then he takes off his glasses she's like and he says no I mean really look at me and it just holds on him and then it cuts to her she's just like Oh my god. Oh my god. Uh -huh. Oh my god, you wrote stories about yourself. What was 
You don't realize how unethical that is? I mean, she's not wrong. But I, I don't know. It's just, I had always been told by, uh, like, people around me, including Josh, that, you know, I just really need to look deeper into it. And I was like, ah, it's, it's, it's just too brooding. It's too serious for me. And the movies, I, like, the, the first movies, like, the the first Justice League and uh, Batman versus Superman really did not help. But... It was a very different version of the character. Yeah. And then through seeing, like, Jaime and, um, you know, who Superman really is and all the other characters through just uh, a young Justice, I'm, I'm really starting to see that there's a lot more to these characters than I, I initially thought. Especially, like, also with um, Batman Beyond. Oh, yes. Terry McGinnis is her Batman. Yes, he is. Hmm. He's a good boy. Which, thanks, Brock, for fucking spoiling the ending. Well, if you don't watch... You won't see it if you don't watch Batman Beyond, so... Sorry. Like, yeah, yeah, it's not the actual ending of Batman Beyond. Yeah, like, that's Part only in Justice, Justice League. League. It's not in the actual show. <laughs> I, yeah. But... There is a great moment in that, and I will wait until I've snowed if you've seen the episode before I say it, but it's one of my favorite Bruce Wayne quotes ever. <laughs> so we'll wait. Oh, yes. I think I know which one you're talking about, Brock. Same. I think I know. Talking to I himself. Think. Yes, yes, yes. That's the one. That's the <laughs> oh, one. It's great. Oh, oh, you're talking about the one where uh, where he's like, I, that's not that's not how I would talk to myself. Exactly. Oh! How, how'd you know he wasn't talking to you? Because I don't call myself that. What do you oh <laughs> like ah it's just so perfect it is you get to have another person talk to bruce to see how quirky kooky he is i love and that was another thing i had watched that episode right after josh showed me batman ego ah yes oh, perfect. perfect that is perfect. a one-two punch yeah yeah nice that's perfect yep, yep. so I won't belabor everybody with more Blue Beetle talk. I'm going to, I have my whole video for that. So um, th this is my thing. And I'm kind of curbing from Brock real quick. Like I got three distinct ones, but they're very different. So for me, like, I think it's just for DC, especially compared to Marvel, not only is it the legacy, but it's also in... I want to say the cultural impact as well as a genuine belief in the good of people mm. as well as resilience. So the yeah. three, the three things that I have they're all three of them are from the comics. So one of them is absolutely technically not DC, but at the same time is and Kiona might be surprised that I'll even mention it, but I'll get to that one right now. The first thing, through my love of Blue Beetle, it got me to appreciate another character, which is Booster Gold. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I actually owned the first one, the first uh, trade after, uh, after Jaime became Blue Beetle, which is it's called 52 Pickup. And it's him with Rip Hunter just going through time and just you know dealing with a bunch of abnormalities and everything. And there's one, one issue that absolutely chilled me to my core. 
And it, it, the lead in was just that one of the abnormalities in the time stream is Barbara Gordon. She was, <laughs> according to Rip Hunter, she was never supposed to be shot by the Joker and paralyzed. So this issue has Booster Gold go back to that fateful night and try and stop the Joker from paralyzing her. And he fails a lot. Like that, that's the thing with Booster Gold. He's he's basically a Kevin Smith character put into the DC universe. He's basically Randall. <laughs> but you know, he's at the same time, there is a genuine heart in him. You can tell that even though he's kind of a douchebag, he, he's he's a douchebag with a heart of gold. Again, and, one of the best represent one of the best versions of him was also in Justice League Unlimited. Yep, I need to see that. You need to see that episode, dude. Yeah, and, sit down and just go through the show. And you just you see through this whole <laughs> issue, him constantly trying to go back, and he has to deal with the worst enemy that anybody's had to deal with, which is Alan Moore. Just, you know, he, he, he goes after this Joker and every single time he's beaten within an inch of his life. Usually he's all joking. He still is here and there, but he's still like, I got to go back. And he keeps going and gets continuously fucked up. I got to go back. I got to go back. I got to go back. And eventually Rip Hunter is just like, look, 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 stop, stop. I'm not about to let you go back. You're eventually going to die. He's like, no, I need to save Barbara. She is not going to have that happen to her. Nothing that bad can happen. And it reveal Rip Hunter reveals to him, because the main, the catalyst for all this is Ted Court's death. Mm -hmm. Booster Gold and Ted Court are, are thick as thieves. And when Ted Court died, it really messed with him. So Rip Hunter has been having him do all this as kind of the way to help him bring back Ted Cord from the dead, you know, be basically be able to like fix that point in time. But yeah. Rip Hunter reveals that Barbara Gordon's paralysis is a fixed point in time. There's no changing it at all. Until they changed it. Until they changed <laughs> it. But just the fact that Booster Gold, probably the one of the more irresponsible heroes of them all, still has this stern... I can't let that sit by. I will literally fight the laws of time and nature in order to make sure that I can save somebody. That I was a little bit of empowering. That that was like a little bit of meta commentary as well because it was, you know, the the uh, I think Alan Moore himself always said that he never intended that to be actual canon, actual continuity that Barbara gets shot and her spine gets severed and she becomes yeah. paralyzed. But then they turned that into one of the greatest characters of all time and one of the greatest character changes mm -hmm. of all time. Mm -hmm. Which I need to read Gail Simone's Birds of Prey because... Yeah, dude. I'm telling I mean, you read, read the entirety of Birds of Prey, honestly. Like, read the Chuck Dixon stuff and the Gail Simone stuff. It's really good. I totally will, but, like, I'm loving what, what she did with her in the New 52 if they had to change it. But, like... Hearing how she empowers herself in the wheelchair, that's really good, too. But so that that's one. And the other is from, I believe, in the early 2000s or something like that. I remember the backstory of it was, I think it's called The Authority. Like, I think uh, Mark Millar, yeah. everybody knows how I feel about Mark Millar. Fuck you. 
but you know, I respect your impact. Uh, he took over the authority from, I believe, Warren Ellis. Yep. And yep. Uh, he made them even grittier. He made them even more cynical. He Mark Millard them. He Mark Millard uh, them, essentially. They right. were outselling Superman. So the writer of Superman at that point did this story, What's So Funny About Truth, Justice, and the American Way, where Superman basically comes to blows with these characters that are basically like him, but they're a little bit more of anti-heroes. And the whole time Superman's just kind of grappling with the fact that everybody is cheering on these people for, you know, basically being very brutal in their tactics and, you know, not really caring, but they're getting results done. And there's a powerful scene where he's in bed with Lois and he's talking about, you know, I saw these kids playing on the street and they were pretending to be the, these guys and they were pretending to kill each other. You know, I understand they're kids playing around, but what does that say that that's who they look up to? So they've been constantly harassing Superman and Superman's like, you know what? We got to settle this. And they're like, yeah, we'll, we'll kill you, man. Like we'll, we'll, we'll settle this. That was a Joe Kelly story. And that was adapted into Superman versus the elite, the animated movie. That's what they were called in DC. Yeah. The so elite. yeah, they go, I believe to another planet. And they're literally broadcasting this, and they just completely wreck Superman. It's absolutely brutal. And they're just like, it wasn't nothing. But then suddenly they all start getting picked off one by one in different ways. I think one of them, Superman claps, and it literally sucks the oxygen away from their lungs, and they pass out for a little bit. One Clap of them, he just, he just completely throws them all the way across another like another solar system and the last guy he just starts toying with him and it reveals this very ragged beaten down superman he looks like a monster he looks like he looks like the superman equivalent of that one famous uh frank miller uh cover for dark knight returns where he's just like completely like scarred up hunched over and everything he okay. looks like a beast but at the same time, everybody understands, like, oh, my God. So that's Superman. Like, that, he could have done that. He's been going, like, kind of what, kind of like what happened with, with uh, Superman and Darkseid and that one thing in, in Justice League. Just, they fully understand it. And the main guy's like, why aren't you going to kill me? He's just like, because I'm not about that. You're lucky that I'm letting you live because I do have the power. Mm -hmm. But understand this. It's not that I'm doing this because I'm weak. I'm doing this because I literally care for everybody. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Deep down, Clark is a good person, and I am not. <laughs> and then just like, hey, you know, we'll we'll do this again. You know, we're gonna we're gonna this isn't over, <clears throat> Superman. He's like, yeah, I have no doubt of that. And next time, I'll be ready for you. And it's just one of the best encapsulations of Superman I think I've ever seen right up there. And I can't believe I'm saying this with Frank Miller's writing of Superman in the very last supp supplemental story of Dark Knight Returns 3 Master Race. But <laughs> wow. then we have the other one that I, like I said, I think you'll be shocked that I'm mentioning it. But Paul Dini... He wrote this story. I know where you're going. 
It's called Dark Knight, a true Batman story, I think. Yes. I, I know where you're going with this. And yes. it's it's basically Paul Dini telling a bio, a biography in a way of yeah. one night that happened to him in real life where after writing Batman and everything, he was you know, he was dealing with a lot of his own issues and everything. And one night, I believe he's just walking down after a bad date, I believe. And he stumbles into this neighborhood. No, no, not, not this normal neighborhood that he would go down, but he was just so in his own head. He walked down the wrong neighborhood mm -hmm. and he gets beaten up and mugged, beaten yeah. with an inch of his life. And he just spirals into this. Yeah. cycle of self-loathing and depression and everything and all the while while he's dealing with all this just kind of that lack of drive to work and everything he imagines the batman villains just kind of enabling his behavior hmm. like you know uh two-face just being like oh you should totally like yeah why did you take a chance he could have jumped them or when he's on the on the date with the girl that clearly is only interested in him for his connections you have Poison Ivy just kind of really laying it on thick about how pathetic Paul is and completely going along with this and Joker just being, you know, Joker about it. Mm -hmm. But the thing that I think encapsulates DC in that, I mean, who knows, who better to understand these characters and what they mean than a character that literally reinvented and in some cases invented these definitive versions of these characters and there's a point near the end where he's not fully fixed in fact he knows he'll never be fully fixed but he's kind of going through everything that went wrong and you know he's choosing to move forward and all the villains are just his internal thoughts just kind of bubbling up and everything yeah. basically the the manifestations of all of his self-loathing and all of his emotions like you have jonathan crane just being like come on that was that they made you powerless and that was probably your biggest fear he's like yeah i understand that but at the same time i also know i can't fully be in fear all my life like it or not i gotta go outside every once in a while and then you have poison ivy just kind of playing into well you know you're only gonna do this and that and it's just like well I still have to move forward. Yeah, some connections are bad, but, you know, I'll, I'll manage. And then, of course, you have the granddaddy of them all, which is the Joker. Mm -hmm. It's just like, I know everybody else is buying into this, but not me. I know you better than anybody. And I know that this is just one of those things that you're trying to tell yourself. You're trying to delude yourself into thinking that it's going to be okay. He's like, no, I understand that. And I know that you understand that better than anybody. But that's also why you're such a fun character to write. <laughs> and in some way, he still manages to get one up on everybody. And the one character that he walks out with at the end of the story is Harley Quinn. I knew it was going to be her. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, he created her. Yeah. And yeah, that's even, his baby. Even mm -hmm. Arlene Sorkin is a major player in the story, too. So after walking out of the room and he's set up the whole thing like he's storyboarding for the animated series and everything too after pitching an episode that involves sandman and, and death and everything they say look we can't have death in a kid's show he's like no i understand at least you let me get it out he leaves everything after talking with all the villains and he walks out 
with Harley Quinn. And he's just like, come on, let's go home. And she's like, oh, hell yeah. You're going to write me another great story. He's like, come on, you know it. Mm-hmm. And it's just, even in that, like, DC, as much as it's about connections, as much as it's about, you know, resilience and everything, as much as it's about legacy, I like to think it's about, above all else, just the connections, like, like familial bonds in that sense. Yeah. And, the way it is. And, and just... Even for Paul Dini, which he is a very critically acclaimed writer for DC, the fact that he's able to have that much of a bond with his creations and at the same time they can help him out of the darkness, it kind of shows how these characters can help us in the best of times and in the worst of times. And who better to understand that than one of the people behind the are the things that make our imagination soar. You know, I've, I've often thought of like, of even a character like Cassandra Kane, like, like Brock, like you were saying with her origin story and, and the hardships she went through as a character. Mm-hmm. And also Stephanie Brown, whose, whose dad was a villain. And then who they retconned into her mom also being kind of like <sighs> crooked. And then, you know, in the later, yeah, which I don't know, but whatever. Anyway, <laughs> you know, just like, just the fact that she came from that kind of a root where like her, her father was into, was like a small time crook, but he was still into bad things. And she just hated that. And she wanted to fight against it. And I just think that that to me, it's like, there's so much injustice in the world. And these characters like Batman, like, like Steph, like Cass, like Tim Drake, like Superman, like Wonder Woman are there to like, remind us that, all is not hopeless and that we can each play our part into making the world a better place, even in a small way. I think that's what, to me, that's the greatest thing that DC and Marvel and image and all these other companies that produce these stories are doing for us. I think that that's the major thing that I love about DC really. And about all of comics. Yeah. Couldn't have said it better myself. Absolutely. Yeah. Sorry for getting heavy at the end. No, that's all good, man. Oh, man. That, that's like that's a really solid story, too. Like, I have to go back and, and reread that again, Paul Dini's book. It, it depresses the hell out of me. And I remember Crystal walked in on me during the scene where, trigger warning for anybody listening, but, you know, Paul Dini wins an Emmy, but, you know, he's, he's still lost in his thoughts and everything. They're consuming him, and he's looking in the mirror, and he's you know, cutting into himself with the edges of the Emmy. And I remember you walked in, you're like, Josh, let's go outside. Let's get you out of here that you look depressed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now yeah. we're coming up to the end, I think, but if there's one thing that I want to, I want to throw to everybody, everybody's in the hot seat in this collective. Would you say that DC's in a good place right now? And where would you want to see them go? I'd say yes, they are in a good place. I'd say so, yeah. Yeah. I said they're in a good good pattern at the moment, just need to retain footing. I think, yeah. yeah, I agree with you, Brock. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, like it's I, very easy for them to go off the deep end at any point. I think it's been a, a rough ride for them, and I think that it's very complicated as to where to go from here because, you know, with what with um, Discovery and that whole merger thing that's coming up, uh, are we are oh, we still kind of... Yeah, are we still wondering like like what's the status of like their games coming up, like Suicide Squad versus no Justice idea. League, and I like have no idea, and like we'll Gotham pro- Knights. We'll, we'll probably find out more at the next uh, Fandom, yeah. which is yeah. a couple months. Yeah, they haven't yeah. said crap about the games, so we'll see. I'm, I'm so curious as to, and even the comic business, like the the fact that we haven't seen a Batgirl's book, even though I think there's a there's an apparatus in place that could make that happen. But I think they're also like they're they're curtailing their publishing, so I don't know exactly where the comics are going to be. And also the fact that we're just still seeing all the fallout from like Future State and all this stuff with like more legacy characters and where that's going to go. I mean, is Bruce Wayne going to be our Batman in the future, or is it going to be like Jace Fox, or is it going to be like you know what what's going on with all these characters? Like I'm so curious as to. Like even just in the comics, where they're going with it, they they have a good team, you know. They have Jim Lee. They have um, um, I, I think it's Marie Javins who is editor in chief now, and I think that like they they have a good team in place. So I hope that I hope that the comic book business stays strong. I hope that their publishing kind of like continues to go on, even though I know it's like it's not all that strong because comic books don't sell well anymore, but. You know, I hope that they're able to do something with like digital or or just just do anything that you can to keep it alive. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's complicated, and I think that it's hopefully going to turn out for the best. Like, my main hope is that they they keep up with the imagination that they that they have. Like, even even in their off books, like that they've had recently, they're still absolutely great and especially in their films they're starting to kind of fully go into the kind of creative freedom that their their writers and artists are starting to have and in the shows i mean we got doom patrol we got young justice season four we got um superman and lois and well the flash is still on but you know you can't have everything well, I think they're running out of um, things to beat that horse with. So eventually, yeah. they're going to let it die. <laughs> but, like, if there's anything, I just don't want the comics to devolve into the popularity contests. Because hmm. I think you guys remember, I, it was months ago, they did this poll thing. It was a red ro- a round robin. I remember that. And yeah. they, they had all these writers come together and they gave their pitches for future books and everything. Boy, they had some weird pitches, man. <laughs> but, you know, you could tell, like, the people that came up with these pitches, it's like, these are obviously people that want to write for these characters, characters that normally wouldn't get, like, True. this big of a role. You know, you had one involving the Wonder Pets, I think. Or something like they involved like the, the the dogs and and all that. You had the pet. Ace the bat. What was the name of the 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 Batman girl lady from France? Um. Uh. 
Was oh. she a Batman Incorporated member? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Crap. There's so many of them. But they, um, there's, there's a ton. But they pitched a story with her in France, and it was going to be like this noirish take, which, you know, I'm all about my Batman and noir. <laughs> but at the same time, you know I'm all about my boy Blue Beetle. So when yeah. you have that up against a story about Blue Beetle graduating high school while dealing with an alien invasion, I mean, it's like, it's no contest. Mm-hmm. And I just... That's the one thing that I hope they they completely abandoned in that sense. Like, all right, we're just going to publish all of these. Because I remember the reception was pretty negative. Like, give us give us more stories like Superman's best pal, Jimmy Olsen, who killed Jimmy Olsen. Give us stuff like Tom King's Supergirl. Give us, you, you know, uh, uh, Tom Taylor with anything involving superman or the suicide squad or anything i mean his nightwing book is going strong right now so like i said he's on a roll tom taylor's on a roll man like good writer too keep the freedom going like that that, that's the main thing that i think that sets dc apart from like like in the comics at least like business wise they handle freedom better than marvel which is constantly under all right we got the editors they also handle uh, uh, paying their contributors better than Marvel does. I thought you were about to say the. Read. I thought you were about to say the lettering. Oh yeah, well the lettering is obviously a thing. That's one of the things that I'm definitely, you know, that's that's a that's a uh, that's a thing for me. Um, <laughs> the lettering in DC books is far better than it is in Marvel books. I'm just going to say that outright, um, and it still is to this day. I just I. No, I was going to say that, like, you know, like, like at least they let creators get residuals if they use their characters in uh, movies or in other kind of projects, you know, like. Well, I think Marvel could definitely do better one. with the exception of one. Yes, yes, yes. You're <laughs> oh, right. You're right about that. They were that. a bit of a dick right about figure that. for a while. <laughs> right about that. Well, yeah, but, but at the uh, same time, history's been kinder to Bill Finger yeah, now. Yeah. Now Recently, they've just more like, than made up. They have made up for it. So. Now yeah, they have. Like, oh, Bob Kane, go fuck yourself. Yeah. Well, Bob Kane is dead. So. Yeah, oh, yeah. I actually saw um, a Hulu documentary. Um, yeah. Uh, what's that called? Batman and Bill Finger, I think. I think it was. I don't remember exactly what it was. Oh my gosh, I don't remember the name of it, but I know which one you're thinking of. Yeah, Batman and Bill or something. Oh, it wasn't as big of a thing. Yeah, Batman and Bill is what it was called. Wasn't there an issue they had for a little bit with the Schuster with um? Yes, yes. Remember, it wasn't as bad if I remember correctly. But but I mean, like for they got over it a lot quicker. Like the creators of Bane or the creators of like you know like those guys got residuals. I think if they use them in like Dark Knight Rises, which they use Bane in that. So we got, you know, but I mean, I'm just saying that like, at least they give you the option. Paul Levitz, when he was publisher and Jeanette Kahn and Paul Levitz, when they were, you know, in charge of the business at DC, I think that they tried to, and Denny O'Neill, we can't go a DC show without mentioning Denny O'Neill. Dennis O'Neill, who was the uh, editor of Batman for many years and also a great writer. I have his book about writing comics. He's awesome. But yeah, I mean, you know, God rest his soul. He was a, a a great creator and editor and one of the guys in charge of like a lot of the books that I read when I was growing up. So 
Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that they've done a better job at least of, at least in the more recent times of trying to take care of their creators and stuff. And I think that, you know, like Disney and Marvel could definitely learn a few things. In like, that one, like one thing you see all the time when you're watching like a DC show or movie is in the credits, they'll always say like, based on, based on characters from DC. Yeah. If he, yeah. if it's Batman, you'll see Bob Kane and Bill Finger. If it's Superman, mm -hmm. the Schusters. Um, but you know, yeah, I, I mean, didn't that... realize also in the Suicide Squad, the guy that um, puts the explosive bomb into, um, yeah, what's his face, um, Savant's um, neck is, Savant's I think, the guy who originally penned the first John Suicide Ostrander. Squad. Ostrander, John Ostrander, yeah, yeah, yeah that's that that's cool. Well, yeah, so I mean, have. but they they, they do you it know these side. these huge companies that are making so much billions of dollars off these franchises, I think they really do have a moral obligation, if not you know, if not a legal one, they have a moral one to take care of their creators. These, these people who are aging and who are getting sick and stuff. I mean, you know, like not to get on a rant here, but it's just that in terms of like, I think, I think DC has done a better job in that regard. It's not enough, but they've done a better job. And I think that, you know, they should, they should take care of their creators of the creators of this stuff. That's not asking for charity. That's just, giving credit to what you know where credit is due like exactly just hearing hearing that horror story of uh, um jim starlin getting paid more for the cameo of kb yes. beast in yes. batman v superman a character i didn't even realize was kgb yep, yep. he got paid yes. more for him than any of the other appearances that thanos had yes, and yes. All the Marvel movies, that's absolutely insane to me. Yeah. 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 Fun fact about Thanos and Jim Sterling. I got to meet him at the last Comic-Con I went to. That dude's awesome. He, he originally nice. was going to have the Infinity Gauntlet be some form of hat, but it looked too much like Brainiac. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I could see that. Probably looked like the thinker in the yeah. Suicide Squad. He was too. signing an Infinity Gauntlet, and he was talking about one of the guys who had did pen, who had um, helped draw it behind him. I can't remember exactly what his name was. I can't remember what the guy's name was. But yeah, they were talking about random stuff, just randomly, just talking about the coolest things on the planet, just like it's you know their dinner they ate last night. I'm like, can, can I sit here? <laughs> like, uh. well. All in all, guys, I think this was a pretty, pr pretty great discussion. Just it was, it was, man. Yeah, I, I enjoyed this. Yeah, it, this, above all else, it really just gets me thinking. I have a lot to catch up on. <laughs> you have a me lot. Me Telling you, it's it's one of the most rewarding journeys you'll ever take. And like, like we're—I'm having a ball just nerding out at everything. Like, oh my god, they—they they referenced Rita Farr in that VHS tape in Young Justice. Yeah. And she'll be like, "Who the, who the, who the hell are you, is that?" No, it's Doom Patrol. What? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Above all else, DC is. There's a reason why it's one of the big two, mm -hmm. and for God's sakes. We owe a lot to them in terms of our modern pop culture. So, tears to you, DC. Another anniversary down the drain, and I'm telling you guys, 
You're only going to get better from here. Tom Taylor, everybody writing there, please raise a glass because you all definitely deserve everything that you're given right now. Yeah. Amen to that. (laughs) So let's go ahead. Let's get the social links out of the way. Brock, where can everybody find you? Literally everywhere at Organoid Zero. I think I have it tapped on everything. I am streaming a lot more nowadays, so you can catch me on Mondays doing Mass Effect, Wednesdays doing Donkey Kong 64, which I'm having an absolute blast with, and this Friday, which will be today when this goes up, (laughs) I will be playing the expansion for Ghost of Tsushima. So if you want to check me out, mostly, (laughs) mostly on Twitch, but a lot on YouTube where I do stuff with a myriad of people. So <laughs> very cool, very cool. All right, Mike, where can we find you? You guys can find me on Twitter at CaptainK42. You can check out all my quick thoughts on letterbox.com slash coachk42. And you can find me in all the various Facebook groups just at my name. We'll we'll do the um, renegade stuff at the end. Yep. Okay. Jacob. You can find me on Facebook and Twitter, uh, J-O-Crable, K-R-E-H-B-I-E-L. I'm also part of the Renegade Pop Culture Facebook group, and I have my own letterboxed account, Streamin' Demon. Nice. Kiona, where can we find you? Uh, you can just find me at Kiona Tang on uh, Twitter. That's <laughs> at K-O-N-A-T-A-N-G at Twitter, on Twitter. Yeah. Going to uh, start my new show pretty soon. But, um, and I'll, I'll I was going to ask that about that. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna have that. That's and we're happen. we're eagerly looking forward to it, man. I'm telling. And by you. the way, thank you guys for inviting me back on. I'm sorry if I ever said anything to like offend anybody or anything like that throughout any oh, of my podcast appearances. Or oh, like dude, I said, dude. We, have, we have an open door policy. You're good, man. Yeah, yeah man. you know, I'm, I forget about this. that one this time so where you fun. said you liked the original Suicide Squad. I'll just forget about that. <laughs> <laughs> I still uh, like it. I still okay, like it. I'm just giving you shit. Uh, um, Shane Chi's still around the corner for you, Kiona. If, if you want to come on board for that, yeah. Uh, well, uh, we'll talk about it. We'll talk. Yeah. About it. yeah. Okay. All right, you. Woman. (laughs) (laughs) Where can everybody find you? All right. Man. (laughs) Uh, You can find me on Twitter under uh, simply underscore ragu816, um, where, again, I regularly roast Josh on all of his his tweets because I can't can't make my own tweets. Uh, You can also find me... On the Facebook group, the Renegade Pop Culture Facebook group under my name, Crystal Gillum. And uh, that's about it. I mean, I know Josh is going to get upset if I don't plug in my TikTok, <laughs> which is under the same username, simply underscore ragu 16 And that's about it. What about you? Okay. You can find me at YouTube at joshboy 64 where I have an amazing video on Kevin Smith, one of my best works. And I have the DC Defined video, an ode to the Blue Beetle. You can check both of those out. They are terrific love letters to their subjects as well as their worlds. And you can also check out the playlist once again in wherever we put it on the website. 
It's on YouTube, the DC Defined. You'll see amazing videos from people like Chimera Films for every kind of geek, etc. And on top of that, you can find me at Twitter at JSH Lozano. If you want to join in on the DC Defined Fund, if you have a subject you want to do, just reach out to me from there. If you have a video, I'll put it on the playlist. If you're not catching me simping and doing weird things on Twitter and just overall ranting, you can also find me on Instagram at Joshua Lozano 64, where I've been posting journals of my production for my Stephen King adaptation rest stop. It's a little depressing, but it's also very interesting if you're into film production and you can find me on Facebook at Joshua Lozano. I'm in the renegade pop culture Facebook groups. And likewise, for everything involving Renegade Pop Culture, you can hit us up at Twitter at Ren Pop Culture. You can visit our website, www.renegadepopculture.com. And on our Facebook, we're at Ren Pop Culture. Need an escape? So do we. That'll do it for this episode of Renegade Capes. And we will see you guys in the next episode. Peace out. Peace.